and welcome to the second episode of Game On Girl. This is your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz, as I'm known on Twitter. Many thanks to those of you who took the time to comment on the first podcast. I got a lot of great feedback on Twitter, the website, and iTunes. I know that technically the show is still a little rough, since I'm learning how to use the technology, but I promise that will improve with time. Today's episode is titled, Who is Game On Girl? and takes a different path than I originally expected. Those of you who listened to the first show heard me mention that the theme of this second episode would be cyberdrag, or gender in gaming. I realized that some of you listening might not know the details about how I came to write this dissertation or pick this topic for my study. And so today I'm going to turn the tables and have my co-host, Rhonda, interview me. I'm hoping she'll go easy on me, but since she was one of the original participants in the study and was featured in the first episode, I'm guessing she's going to let me have it. Rhonda's career path has been a dynamic one, but throughout she's followed two very geeky passions, art and technology. So with no further ado, here's Rhonda. Thanks, Regina. Well, I really don't want to waste any time because I'm excited about this, so let's go ahead and dive right in. All right. Um, your undergrad work and your master's work was in literature. But what led you to specialize in your Ph.D. work on feminism and identity? Well, it was an interesting road for me, I suppose. I studied sort of the classical canon of focusing on American literature in both my undergraduate and my master's work. Um, My master's thesis being about William Faulkner, who's one of my favorite authors. Mm. When I decided to go for the Ph.D., I knew I was done with the dead white male canon. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Such as it is. I, I had spent a lot of time reading stuff from people that were no longer with us, which is not to say that that's not important or valuable, but I wanted to work with living subjects. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I switched over to American Studies because it gave me the opportunity to open up not just my subject field, but the different kinds of theories that I could engage. I've sort of always been a feminist, but um, this sort of took it to the next level for me. Um, and then, you know, the gaming and, and women gamers in particular sort of led right into that as well. So it really was a great background for moving on to live subjects because you, you build up that uh, background with... Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had an understanding of, of reading people from reading literature. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so that just mapped into, into working with, you know, living and live populations instead of um, texts or printed texts, I should say. Well, that's interesting that you wanted to work with um, live people considering that your specialty community ended up being digital. Absolutely. And that was um, almost entirely, I won't say by accident necessarily, but I had started playing World of Warcraft about six months before I started the PhD program. And I I had been a gamer, a long-time gamer, and so I, I had never played a, a an MMO before. It was my first time going into and creating a community and game of people who I didn't know. I didn't at that time I didn't play with anybody who I had known from my physical life. I only played with people I met through the game. And then I went in my first, one of my first classes in the PhD program was um, digital cultures, digital divides. And we're all we're talking about is how people create their identity online. And all of a sudden I was thinking about, oh well, look at this dynamic place where all of this identity creation is going on and I wonder how it feels for you know people like me or women to go into these environments and create these characters and create these persona and um, and act them out and so I went I went and I was like oh okay maybe I should maybe I should take this angle and that's and that's sort of where everything evolved from that yeah, that I think that's extremely relevant because that the uh, online digital community is no longer a subculture. No. Pretty much everything socially that you you discuss or talk about is involving your online community. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Every, well, everything just sort of changed with that too. Yeah. Now I'm curious. This is something that I was always thinking about. How did you come up with the title "Game on Girl"? Uh, well, it was actually a friend of mine when I was, 
Oh, I think right before the, the process when you get a, a PhD, you take exams um, in your third year usually, mm-hmm. where you sort of get put on, on the you know on the stretcher, and your your committee you know evaluates what you're what you're writing about and what you're thinking about. And I was chatting online with a friend of mine in New York, who's not a gamer at all, and who doesn't really sort of get the culture or understand my interest in it. And when I was telling him what I was going to write about, he wrote. Um, as just a just a message to me, game on, comma girl, and you know with an exclamation point, like you know go do it, and and so yeah. it became like the call to action for me to do the research, um, and one of the reasons why it doesn't have any punctuation on the site and why it doesn't it, it's just game on girl is because I want it to be twofold. I want it to be a call to action like it was from my friend, you know, game on, comma, girl. But I also want to be game on girl. So it's sort of a dual identity for me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now that, that makes more sense now. Yeah, that's that's sort of the, I'm, I'm really glad that you thought to ask that question because I had never thought to contextualize it. It just was what it was for me. And yeah. it had all that history. And when I saw the question pop up, I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. It's really important to me that I talk about where that came from because that is, you know, I and that's why my, you know, my end call for for the podcast is game on because I want, I want everybody to feel that, that same sort of call to, to empowerment and all the great stuff I feel comes out of gaming. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love it. I love the, I love the title. You go into your dissertation about how you came about, uh, to get your test subjects. And that was a very exciting story where you use social media and, you got to meet finally the some of the people that helped you out, Felicia Day with the Guild, right. and even Will Wheaton. Yeah, um, how exciting was that? <laughs> uh, I'd have to rank both of those um, interactions among the top <laughs> of my of my geeky fangirl life. I met them both at Emerald City Comic Con, which is a smaller version of the San Diego Comic Con that happens in Seattle um, last March, and the Guild. When I had, um, when I had originally thought to find participants, and I was thinking about women gamers and representations of women gamers, really, I thought about Felicia Day because you know she writes the guild, but she's also a gamer. And so I thought, well, wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it just be awesome if I could interview Felicia Day for my research? <laughs> And so I figured, you know, I have nothing to lose. I'll send an email to her publicist and see, you know, what they have to say about this. Oh, and, that, it was a great move. Yeah, it, I, it, it, it was one of the best decisions I've made. <laughs> yeah, that was, it, that was a brilliant move. And when I read that, um, the background, I was so excited for you about, well, because Felicia Day sort of come out as leading the way for rallying for gamer girls mm-hmm. absolutely and, yeah yeah and, and then and did you, you met will wheaton at the same con yeah at the same con i met will wheaton and i had um it was march last year i had literally just put the finishing touches on the official copy of the dissertation and i had to put the you know the work cited reference bibli- bibliography together and i qu- i quote him at the beginning of the last chapter of the dissertation and i'm standing in line and i turn to to chris and i said do you think he's ever been cited in a dissertation before and he's <laughs> like i don't know and i'm like well he's like are you going to ask him and i said yeah i think i will and so i walked up to him and i said have you ever been have you ever to to the best of your knowledge been cited in a dissertation before and he looked at me with a very quizzical look on his face and said (laughs) not that I know of and I said well you have been now and he sat back in his chair and he threw his arms out to the side and he's like tell me more and so I sort of explained the story and how I use the guild because in in homage to to the guild and to Felicia Day and the work that she's doing I use a scene from the guild in every chapter of the dissertation and even when I presented in New Zealand last November on the, you know, on the process of finding my subject pool through Twitter, I used a clip from 
the guild to introduce my topic. So I've done a lot to sort of to to, to thank them as much as I yeah. can for for their participation and help finding me and helping me find the uh, participants for the research. So I explained all that to him and about the the last chapter and how I used his quote from Pax and he you know said that's awesome. You know when do you defend and. I told him that I defended and it was like two weeks away or a week and a half away, something like that. And he said, don't go anywhere. And he stood up because, you know, I'm going to leave, right? I'm going to run away while he's gone. (laughs) So he said, don't go anywhere. And he went in the back and got a little notebook and came back out and said, I want to give you something. And then he, he drew up a blue star and he wrote the blue star of awesome plus five to defensive dissertation. Oh. He, he signed it with two W's for his signature. And I could have died like in that moment, like my life was complete. I mean, you know, that might be a little overkill here, but um, you know, I had a crush on him when he was Wesley Crusher and I was 12. So <laughs> here's, yeah, that's, here's, that's a wonderful yeah. full circle. Yeah, it really, it really is. Especially since he's so interested in gaming and it's been such a, and, you know, he talks about the importance of gaming and the culture that comes from gaming so often in yeah. his blog and in a lot of the writings that he does. And even at that con, he had read a piece about um, playing Scrabble with his wife. I really wanted to get a copy of that, but he didn't have any he didn't have any books with with that piece. In it. And I'm still actually waiting to try to get a hold of it. But yeah. Yeah. So it was it was it was a good moment. Still still ranking up there is one of my favorite. Well, I'm going to uh, go ahead and get started with um, some of the questions that you asked us when you were doing your research. You talked about, uh, actually, you covered several of them in your dissertation, but the very first question you asked was, how would you define a gamer? Yeah, that was the the big question, and I had a lot of... uh explosive responses to it <laughs> oh really uh, not not bad but people who are like oh my god I you know I, I I've never really actually thought about that you know how how do you sort of come about this this definition and a lot of people who sort of second-guessed what they thought and what they were going to say so so it ended up being an interesting process for me a gamer is is someone who plays games on a regular basis and although a lot of the participants in the study talked about a certain amount of time or a certain devotion to a particular game, I just think that people who take pleasure from gaming and have that as like maybe a primary um, hobby or, or a way to spend their time, that's how I would define a gamer. Somebody who, who, who does, who games, you know, and it doesn't have to be digital gaming. It could be card games. It could be tabletop games. It can be oh, okay. live action role play. And I'm not really, you know, sort of limited. When I, when I first started the research, I thought I would research all kinds of gamers, all kinds of people who played different kinds of games, including things like Bejeweled and things that people might categorize more as casual arcade gaming. I ended up having to focus in on something because <laughs> yeah, if I didn't, the dissertation would have been huge. As it was, I had you know a massive amount of, of uh, material to write about that I really only scratched the sur- surface of with what I've produced at this point. So, Yeah, I was actually really surprised after uh, reading the dissertation through. I was, uh, this is so complex. There are so many areas that are just barely even touched on that that have some very interesting questions behind them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. Well, how do you, how do you, people react when you tell them you're a gamer? Well, the, the biggest population I tend to talk to or announce that I'm a gamer is are my students. So <laughs> as, oh, yeah. as a college English teacher, you know, my, my first class is always sort of the getting to know you class and I have my students interview each other and then they introduce that, the person they've interviewed to the class. And so at the end I say, okay, it's pick on Regina time, you know, ask me some of the questions that you guys just answered. And I'll often ask, you know, what's your favorite hobby or whatnot? And I'll say, you know, well, I'm, a, I'm a big gamer. And or I'll know things about games. Like uh, last semester, one of my students said that his, his favorite character was Master Chief from, from Halo. And 
he said, Master Chief. And I said, oh, from Halo. And he looked at me like I had three heads. Like, how, <laughs> how do you know this? And, and I understand there's a certain, you know, stereotype that goes along with English teachers, especially since, you know, I got the geeky glasses and, you know, the whole persona going on. So they look at me and they don't think, oh, she's going to know Halo and she's going to play World of Warcraft and she's going to know Left 4 Dead and, you know, all these different things. So, so I get a lot of sort of surprise in that context. You know, in other areas, like when I go to PAX and I'm wearing the t-shirt that says, you know, everybody loves a player and it's got the original Nintendo um, <laughs> controller on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and things like that. In that context, it's not as much of a surprise. But, but being being an academic, being a teacher and being a gamer, I think, sort of puts me in a different, a different space. It's, it's not exactly what's expected of me. Yeah, we um, we recently were at a body shop this uh, past Valentine's weekend, and uh, the guy there said, well, what are you guys going to do for Valentine's? And they said, well, we're going to go home and play Resistance 3 all night. <laughs> <laughs> he was extremely <laughs> impressed and amused. <laughs> yep, it's, it's awesome. And I love that moment where, where people sort of have to, to take the image of what they've thought you were mm-hmm. with, with mm-hmm. how you're sort of contradicting that in their in their mind i love i love that that sense of oh that surprise and that sort of oh this isn't exactly what i expected from what i looked at you and thought so i love that i love that moment so now you um your first mmo was uh world of warcraft right and what type of reactions did you get i mean if you were discovered to be um a female gamer uh, did you get any type of negative reactions, or what was the response? I didn't find a lot of negative reactions to to being a female gamer. I think by the time I sort of engaged in it and, and had started playing, a, a fair number of women were gaming and were playing World of Warcraft. So I didn't, I didn't think it was too much of a surprise at that time. Mm. And I didn't have any negative sort of associations with it. I didn't... At, at that time, I didn't understand and really only sort of came to understand the depth of playing an MMO, I'd say, in the last six months or so, even even after I finished the dissertation, which actually allowed me more time to game. Because <laughs> yeah. as much as I could justify gaming with doing research, I really didn't have a lot of time to devote to 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 leveling and to, to gaming and doing like a lot of end game content. So I didn't know a lot about that. I would get some, you know, sort of comments from, from people in my original guilds way back. This was, you know, 2006. This was a long time ago and I don't, I don't play with any of those people anymore. So I didn't even know, you know, how to go back and sort of track that experience. But, um, they would, you know, mock me a little bit when I didn't know how to do certain things or I didn't mm-hmm. know what was appropriate. Um, I remember being in a group in a dungeon and wanting to roll um, need that I needed an object um, for another character of mine. And I didn't understand the social protocols at the time that that was not acceptable behavior. You didn't roll need on things you weren't for the character that you were using at the very moment. Yeah. And I didn't understand any of those social protocols. And so I remember, you know, people saying sort of, not necessarily mean, but dismissive comments about, oh, you know, what do you know? You're just a girl or something like that in situations like that. Now, did your uh, research subjects have similar experiences, whether where it was um, not that big a deal um, for them to be a girl gamer? Yeah, they, they had both. I actually saw both where they had situations where it wasn't really a big deal that they were a girl they had situations where they got on things like vent and you know you could hear ventrilo which is the the uh, voice software that uh, gamers use to sort of communicate with each other while they're gaming and when a, when a woman's voice would come on they they would automatically have the other guys start hitting on them sort of as mm-hmm. a, i have to prove that i'm that i'm masculine that i'm a guy so here's a girl gamer and i'm going to hit on her um, right. they had experiences like that um, i had one participant in one of the text interviews I did, who said that when she, she was playing a male avatar, and when one of the people that she played with on a regular basis found out she was a woman, um, he had a really hard time with it, a really hard time accepting that, you know, she was a woman. 
And one of the things that he had said was, you know, I, I've sworn in front of you. You know, I cuss and I swear oh, when funny. we're gaming. And, and, and that was really upsetting to him that she was a woman and he had been swearing in front of her. <laughs> Wow. And and it's 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 interesting if you think about sort of the construction of gender and how people think about about women for him. I guess that was just something that you don't do around around women. Any does she have any idea about how old he was? He was he was younger. He was younger than she was. He was he was probably I think she said late teens early 20s from what I remember. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, so he he was old enough so that it, you know, he wasn't a, you know, child by any means, but younger, she was a little bit older I think than he was. I can't remember exactly the sort of yeah. difference between that, but I thought that was a really fascinating sort of response. I swore. I I, I said bad words, you know. <laughs> you can't be a girl. I did this in front of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, the 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 people in your physical life, like your family and friends who are not gamers, um, do they know that you're a gamer, that you identify yourself as a gamer? And what, do you get any particular kind of uh, response from them? Well, the research certainly helped out me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> to my family as, no hiding now. as a gamer, yeah. I didn't I don't really get to hide that. And not that I ever did. Um and I, I come from a gaming family. I mean my my family are gamers and you know my my mom and my brothers like to um like to gamble so they go to the casino and 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 such you know activities uh-huh. but i grew up playing card games and dice games and board games and you know all the time um you know i remember learning how to play blackjack when i was like 7 or 8 years old and i you know i wouldn't be surprised if my my parents and thought it was you know a good way to learn how to count because you know it certainly can be you know to think on your feet and to add and all that kind of stuff so we've always been gamers um i don't have any other family members who are digital gamers um they'll play if i bring my wii with me when i go to visit they'll play games on it but they're not they don't seek it out as a pastime they don't they don't spend a lot of time doing it my mom will play solitaire on the computer but that's about as far as she sort of goes with digital gaming so to be in an immersive environment where you create a character and you go in and you complete quests and things like that are things that my family just doesn't really understand. <laughs> but, but do they think you're wasting your time? I I don't know if they do or not. I I, I think <laughs> I am I'm kind of an anomaly. Um, I I don't have I don't come from an educated background. So getting getting a PhD was really something that my family didn't understand. My my brothers, although they are very supportive of me, you know, up until I finished last year, would shake their head and they're like, "You're still in school? How can you still oh, be in wow. school? You know." <laughs> So I think they're more mystified by that than they are the gaming necessarily. I think they can almost understand the gaming, you know, to a degree uh, with knowing how much, you know, sort of fun it is and having, you know, things that they go in and do that kind of stuff. I think they can understand. But um, the reading and wanting to study, they don't they don't get that at all. Well, now, one of the, the meatier questions that sort of kind of it got to the core of the way that your research subjects thought about gaming and being girl gamers was the creation of their avatars. And how do you go about selecting and creating your avatar when you're gaming? Well, this, this process changed for me, um, you know, with the, the lifting of the veil and with the understanding of um, identity creation. When, when I created my first avatar back in 2006 for, for World of Warcraft... I didn't. I didn't think too much about it. I went in and I sort of created a character and I played around with the, you know, randomize and then I, I made a few sort of choice, you know, decisions. And I realized later, after I started looking at, you know, what it meant to to have an online identity and to create an avatar, I realized that it very much created an idealized self with that first avatar. So <laughs> she had okay. short blonde hair, which I had at the time, blue eyes, you know, attractive features. And she had a piercing that I had always appreciated. I still appreciate it, but don't have myself where, you know, the, the sort of cartilage piercing up at the top of the ear. I, uh-huh. you know, I went through and I made sure to pick that because I'm like, oh, I, would, I love those, but I've never had one. And, you know, no sort of, you know, 
thinking about it in those in those terms and and when I looked back I was like oh well and then you know a couple months after I had started playing I made a new character and I had dyed my hair red and all of a sudden the avatar that I made had red hair as well so <laughs> oh funny. really sort of you know embrace that sort of self-identity with, without consciously doing it. Now, when I went back to play World of Warcraft after I started the dissertation research and I was very conscious of that process, everything was, was not. <laughs> I was very conscious of not making an avatar that looked like I did. And so... Why? I, I I don't even really know. I think I just wanted I wanted to kind of shake up my own perceptions of myself and, oh, and yeah, my, yeah. how I perceive the character, and I wanted to see a little a little difference between between who I was and then how the character was perceived in in the world. I wanted to see if there was a lot of sort of difference between that. In, in the end, there really there really isn't because I don't I don't think a lot of people look too closely at, you know, the hairstyle you have or whatnot. I mean, half the time your hairstyle is covered up by whatever headgear you're wearing as well. So you don't really get to see, you know, some of the choices that you make. Um, And when I first played World of Warcraft, the the avatar that you created, you couldn't, you couldn't change very much, you know, since then they've added, you know, there's a hair, there's a, there's a barber shop now in World of Warcraft. So (laughs) if you'd like to change your hair, you, you, you know, you have the option to do that. (laughs) Well, now were all of your avatars female? Yes, all my all my avatars. When I've had the choice, I've always played female avatars, which comes from uh, wanting to represent as as a woman in game. And um, knowing the research and knowing that a lot of female avatars are played by male players, I, I very much wanted to make sure that my avatars were you know representative of who I was. And in fact, when I've played games where I haven't had the choice. Like I, I played a first person shooter early last spring called Brink that had just come out. And they have the most um, sophisticated character creation process, I think, or one of the most sophisticated character creation processes on the market right now. But not a single female avatar to play. <laughs> You're kidding. <laughs> it's it was actually kind of, you know, um um a, a bit of a scandal when it first sort of happened at least among the, you know, the writers who are paying attention, you know, the bloggers and the the sites that are paying attention to gender and gaming are like, okay, you have a, a billion character combinations and you couldn't make a female avatar. So <laughs> this was released last year? Uh-huh. Last year. And it's and it's a mul- oh, wow. and it's a, it's a first person shooter game and a lot of the the sort of um um industry talk around first person shooters is you, you know you don't actually see your avatar when when you play World of Warcraft you're you're um in, in a third person perspective. Right. So you see your whole avatar and first person shooter all you're seeing is a hand. So the, the the way the industry views it is, you know, who cares if it's a male or female hand? It's you know, you're not representing who you are. Well, I had absolutely no attachment to that game whatsoever. I, I created an avatar uh-huh. that looked nothing like me, that had no relation to who I was at all. And I, I, I seriously think part of the reason why I lost interest in it was because I couldn't represent who I was in the game. And Brink is different. It's it's like um, Left 4 Dead is similar. Left 4 Dead, there are four set characters you play. There's no character creation. So playing that is not the same the same thing. But being able to go into an environment and create a character and pick the kind of skills you wanted to have, and playing with my friends because it's a multiplayer shooter. So we were I was actually playing with people that I knew, and we were going in. You know, not being able to sort of see myself in that world. It, it just created too much distance for me with it. I couldn't, I couldn't sort of get into, and I didn't want to go back and continue playing because I didn't feel any sort of personal attachment to it. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand what you, what you're saying because the, uh, I, I've got to kind of see myself in my avatar to identify with the game, mm-hmm. and it's sort of a bonding thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You feel you feel like part of the, the story, which you talked about in your interview, wanting to sort of engage the yeah. adventure in a way that, you know, women aren't aren't often sort of given opportunities to outside of gaming. Well, now this leads to uh, one of the conclusions or observations, at least, that you made in the dissertation in that you you kind of noticed the development of three major types of gamers. Right. Um, there was the self-player who sees themselves 
as the avatar. The role players whose avatars are more like an alternate identity. It's a, one, an identity they put on. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you called it the neutral players who don't necessarily have a connection with their avatar. Right. Uh, what ca- category do you think you fall in? Well, one, one of the things about the, about the categories that I came up with... Um, that I didn't unpack in the dissertation as much as I wanted to because I was under too much of a time <laughs> time crunch <laughs> to finish it. But I also had, you know, sort of, uh, I crossed those categories as well. So you could be, you know, a self and a role player and a neutral and a role player. And so, so I, com- I sort of made combination packs of, <laughs> of the types as well. And I think I fall somewhere in between a self player and a neutral player. Neutral players, I think... I think I'm actually going to rename that category. I haven't I haven't decided a hundred percent to be mastery players because one of the things I think neutral players tend to be is they they tend to want to master the game that they're playing, and that's only something that I've come to to understand and engage really in the last few months as well. Sort of maxing out my my World of Warcraft character and getting into end game raiding content. That's the first time I've done that kind of process. Um, so, and and I really like it. I really like feeling like I've I've gained a sense of mastery over the game that I'm playing. Um, yeah, that sounds like a good title too, because that's the way that I remember my sister approaching games when we were kids. It wasn't necessarily. Um, that she wanted to win every game, she wanted to master the rules right. of that game. Right, and, and she wanted to understand and, and, how it worked and how the game worked yes. and the mechanics worked. Yeah, and I, I think that that's more what, what I called neutral players, what I'll probably call mastery players. I think that's mm-hmm. really what they're after. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the distinction between sorry. the uh, sorry the the distinction between the self and the and the role players was particularly interesting for me because it was an easy way for me to look at the interview data because one of the classifications I came up with or one of the distinctions where self players are very likely to talk about their avatars in first person. Um, I did this. I have this many pets in game. I do this. I do that. Rather than role players who have that sort of barrier between who they are and who their avatar is will say, well, uh, she did this and she did that, or he did this and he did that, and and have that that distance between who they are on the screen and who they are otherwise. And neutral players that that category sort of came up for me because ma- mastery or neutral players w- will switch between those two terms, and I tend to do that. I tend to sometimes talk about my avatar as if she is myself, and like I said, I have to have some sort of personal connection with the image to feel engaged in the game. Um, but I will also talk about Sunny B in, in third person a lot while well, she did this. And, oh, Sunny B took down Deathwing, blah, blah, blah. So, Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, you didn't interview any male gamers for your dissertation, right? I did not, no. Okay. So th- you didn't get the uh, necessarily the male perspective on female gamers, which makes sense considering you had such a wonderfully huge pool and you were concentrating on the women. Right. But did you, you, do you have male friends that are gamers? Yeah, I have, I have quite a few male friends that are gamers. Um, <laughs> several who listened to the first podcast and already are um, asking when they get to be interviewed. So, Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> What, what, are they wanting a rebuttal? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Um, one friend um, uh, called me up and he said, you know, he'd love to be interviewed. And one of the observations he had about listening to the um, "How do you define a gamer?" conversations that I shared last time, he said one of the things that he thought was important to his definition of being a gamer was not just playing one type of game, but playing um, playing board games and playing digital games and, you know, having that kind of crossover between the types of games that are played, arcade games yeah. and role-playing games and first-person shooter. He thought that sort of that was a really important thing that everybody was sort of talking around, he thought, but didn't actually say. So he really wanted a chance to come on and sort of talk about that idea. And that could very easily be linked to what some people did say in terms of engaging in broader gaming culture because there's a lot of different cultures around different types of gaming so that that was one thing that he was like oh i'd love to talk a little bit about this he'll probably be mad at me because i already said it so (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, I have a feeling you'll have more to say. Uh, yeah, yeah, most likely. So then simply from, from just your own personal experience then, do you see differences between male and female gamers? I'm not 100% sure. I, I, I do and I don't, I guess. is um, I see a lot in, in people's perceptions of how people are going to play. One of, okay. the, one of the assumptions when I started the research was that um, women gamers like to, to be healers in, in games because they were caretakers. And that ended up being the biggest crock of, of any <laughs> stereotype that I, I've ever heard about gamers. Every woman gamer that I talked to who was a healer said they healed because it involved significantly more skill than doing damage. Oh, interesting. I know. Isn't that fascinating? So different from what everybody thinks is, is sort of that, you know, that caretaker or that idea of, you know, this is the reason why women do this because, you know, they, this is what women do. Well, no, no, they, they, they healed because it took more skill and having, and having dipped my toe, just my toe in the healing pool, I would, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, it takes a lot more effort and energy and thinking in terms of keeping a group of people alive in an instance than it does to hit a button and just be, you know, doing damage. I mean, you can do, you can screw up plenty with that as well, but it, it takes a certain amount of attention, a certain different kind of attention to keep, to keep people's health up. So Oh, it, I mean, that's totally true because in, um, and I love that perspective because I played with my friends in um, Resistance 2 and I always pick a medic mm-hmm. because the majority of the uh, uh, the battles that are done, we've got at least two players that are uh, really great melee and tank and um, I'm not very good at that and that's what most of the battles are. I prefer long distance mm-hmm. so I play medic but now that you talk about it, I mean, I have to stay alive. Right. And and then I also have to keep up with these these guys who charge into battle. <laughs> and I've got to keep them in view and constantly keep them healed so that yep. they can get us to the next stage. Yep. And it's a real juggling act. Yep. It's a very different it's a very different thing than what sort of the stereotype would have you have you believe or this the sort of overarching idea you know women want to take care actually the, the one participant who said that caretaking was important to her was actually a tank was was the the main sort of melee fighter and she yeah. said she viewed being a tank as like being a mother bear where you know she was taking care of everybody else who was in the group and taking all the damage so that they could be protected. And that was the only the only participant who said anything about sort of caretaking was one who took on a completely, completely masculinized role. What what we expect sort of male or what the stereotypes, I shouldn't say we because I'm not I don't think this way, but the way the way the stereotypes are what the you perception. Would, the yeah. perception, right. What you would think a male gamer would play for was you know was her she she loved that caretaking of of being there taking the damage and and protecting the people who were in her group as a tank not not as a healer i've got a friend who uh, was telling me this past weekend that one of the the myths that she hears often is that courage is not a female characteristic and that I think that's completely false. Just Absolutely. like you're saying that they're they're automatically a caretaker, right? Right. That we automatically sort of pigeonhole, you know, women and men. I mean, male stereotypes are just as you know negative, impacting as as women's are. So, but yeah. but the, they are that, and and that was one of the things that I sort of talk about in the dissertation as well, where you know we sort of map stereotypes of of women and men into the game and one experience I had with that was from my very my very early days of playing World of Warcraft I was I was in a group and (laughs) I I were waiting to go into a battleground where you're playing against other you know other players player versus player pvp play Mm-hmm. And this other person that I was I was playing with, we were you know waiting the minute or so before the round started. He opened a trade window and dropped a bunch of gold in it and hit trade and and just randomly gave me I don't remember how much it was a hundred pieces of gold or something and I was like um thanks what was that for <laughs> and he said you look poor 
go buy yourself better gear. Whoa. And, and I was fascinated by, by that. And I was like, well, okay, thanks. You know, I had, you know, no idea. I looked, I looked poor, you know, or, or even how you look poor, you know, you can expect, inspect and see, you know, the stats on people's gear and, and whatnot. And I, you know, had no perception of that at that time. And so I'm like, okay, fine. And, and later when I reflected on it, I wondered, and I have no way to, to confirm this other than I, I did ask some of the people in the study about it. I wondered if it was because I was a woman, if that was part, or I was a female avatar. He didn't know for sure if I was a woman, but I was a female avatar. If he felt that need to sort of take care of me because he could see that I wasn't, you know, top geared or or whatnot. But if the female avatar was part of that. And I had it happen. I've had that happen to a lesser degree. And I never had anybody else tell me I looked poor. But (laughs) when I was playing, you know, the character that I have now, I was, you know, doing some low level questing and somebody who was, you know, max level character came up to me and he's like is this your only character and I said yeah and he gave me you know some random amount of gold as well and said you know here this will help get you get you started oh wow just out of nowhere so do you think that do you think that's <laughs> that in that sense it's community I, I would like to think it's community and and I would like to think you know if if part of what women are acting out when they game is that um that need for adventure that may not be fulfilled in other in other ways in other parts of your life. Um, maybe the same is true for for male players, where maybe that player, those two players, those two examples couldn't couldn't provide that in a physical way to somebody else in their life, but they could go in game and sort of be that gallant hero that helps out, you know, a female character, female avatar yeah. who you know looks like they need some help or need some guidance. Oh, I to- I totally agree yeah. with that. Yeah, I think I think it yeah. fulfills the same the same need, you know, for for both. And you yeah. know, and I didn't I took the money. I mean, I, <laughs> oh I, yeah, I didn't turn it down. You know, I could have said you know you don't need to do that or whatnot. Especially with the guy who's like, oh, you look poor. But at the time, I was just so flabbergasted that anybody would be like, oh, you need to you know, do something different. <laughs> I didn't really yeah. know what to think about it. Well, we've mentioned several times gaming culture mm-hmm. and the the term culture and uh, with gaming may be kind of new to people. What do you, what do you describe the gaming culture as? What does that involve? I think one of the most important aspects of gaming culture is um, it, it's, it's really simple. It's just, the ability to be able to talk about games, I, th- I think, is what defines gaming culture. Um, to be able to, to talk and engage and... and um, and have that sort of common thread that that ties people together, um, regardless of what it is. You know, I, I have friends who is a really a really big live action role playing person, and his vast majority of friends and community is based from that LARP, and that's fantastic. Is that and that's part of his culture and that's part of his gaming culture? Is that sense of community that they create through that. Um, the same thing happens in games like World of Warcraft, where you meet a guild and you, you know, make friends and you all play and participate together and you create your own community and then that creates a culture. So I think that is, is really the, the sort of depth of it. It's been fun for me to go to, because I, I had never before I started doing the research, go to like the gaming conventions and things like that. And that, mm-hmm. that was another thing a lot of people talked about in the in the interviews as being really important was going to you know going to cons and sort of going out and and immersing yourself more in game culture. And it was it was the first time I went to PAX, the Penny Arcade Expo, up in Seattle. I remember standing in the you know in the line of people out in front of the expo, about to go in, and feeling the palpable excitement and how excited everybody was and how excited I was and. It was just, you know, it was a total rush. <laughs> just <Yeah>. standing in line. <laughs> well, and uh, we had the same experience because at the time that uh, you interviewed me, we had not been to a con either. And it was something that was extremely important. We wanted to do, 
because we felt like we were missing out on a big part of our culture because of it. And it was incredibly freeing to show up and to see so many references and we got every joke. Right, exactly. That's and that's I think that that's like key to to engaging or part of what I like about engaging game culture is understanding the jokes and getting the in jokes and you know all the sort of fun stuff that comes out of that. Well, um, I've only got a couple of questions left, but I want to turn them uh, a little bit more personal to you, Regina. All right. Um, truth telling about how much do you play and how often? Well, I'd, I'd have to I have to sort of modify this a little bit. Um, <laughs> I, I play I play a lot, um, but I play a lot of different kinds of games. So, uh, World of Warcraft these days, I probably play. Three or four nights a week uh, for two to two to three hours or so. Um, oh, okay. I don't have a whole lot. I, I still I'm still quite quite busy, multiple multiple jobs and and balancing all of that. So um, I, I haven't I, I still don't have enough time to sort of devote to to playing it maybe the way I might want to if I had more time. Uh, but I bought a an iPod Touch for my birthday last year as my sort of gift to myself. And I play that all the time. <laughs> oh, I, play, I love the yeah. apps on my phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that, that kind of gaming, I'm, you know, I have a couple minutes between this and that and I will, you know, run around of, uh, of words with friends or, uh, scramble with friends is my new favorite. Um, I like word games a lot, which goes back to my, you know, my English and literature backgrounds. I think I know a lot of words, <laughs> Um, but I also play things like Bejeweled on there, and I love playing tower defense games on that, and um, oh yeah, uh, things like Plants vs Zombies and um, a couple of other sort of tower defense games, which names are escaping me at this moment. So, with all of that, I, I probably play a, a, a fair amount of time a week. <laughs> I also do that while working out sometimes, though. So, so I do get some sort of a, it's a good distraction to be on like the recumbent bike and and you know running through. Uh, tower defense because I stopped paying attention to what I'm doing on the bike and what I'm gaming instead. <laughs> but you know the um, that uh, whether it's the devices themselves um, or the gaming the gaming culture becoming less of a subculture, but some of these RPG games and even the board games like Carcassonne and Elder Sign mm-hmm. are being made into very popular apps. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so we're not dealing just with with solitaire and uh, games like that. And I think I think Plants vs Zombies kind of bridged some of that gap too. It's I think a little it did, it's yeah. a little bit of the uh, heavy gamer light, right? <laughs> exactly, will. exactly. It's it, it's a good sort of example of crossover. That's actually part of what I talked about in the last chapter of the dissertation, where I talked about all the examples of how gaming culture is sort of making its way into mainstream culture, and because of that, the perception of gamers, um, particularly women gamers, is starting to shift and change for the better, being a little bit more open and you know a little less sort of focused on stereotypes. Well, you've done a, a huge and impressive amount of work, but obviously you've really just kind of scratched the surface. Where do you go from here? Um, <laughs> what are you going to do with what you've learned? Well, that's part of the motivation for the podcast. You know, there, there's very sort of specific ideas and things you're supposed to do when you get a PhD <laughs> and very, yeah, yeah. very specific jobs and very specific ways you're supposed to communicate your research and your information. And I'm pretty much against all of that. <laughs> um, Yay, you. <laughs> yeah. I, I, when I finished, you know, and I thought about publishing academically, you know, uh, preparing some of the chapters for publication and gaming journals and game study journals and ethnography journals. And, and I even had a publisher get in touch with me, which never happens when you're academic, um, get in touch with me about publishing the dissertation as a book. Wow, that's impressive. It was. It was fantastic, and I was really excited. And, and, you know, if I was looking for, you know for that it, it would be perfect and and I you know I started the process and I, I emailed and I, I went through and he he told me what I needed to send back to him to sort of continue and I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to do it and and I tend to listen to my instincts 
a lot, uh, which have, have served me well uh, through the process here. And when I, when I had that hesitation and when I felt that resistance to going down that path, I, I started to question why. One of the reasons I think I hesitated was because an academic book is going to be read by a small, specific population of people. So I would have had maybe, you know, 100 people read the book, read or buy the book or what, you know, if, if I was really lucky and it was really popular and a bunch of libraries picked it up, maybe 2,000, you know, would get published and, you know, put in the library shelves. And maybe people doing research would come across it and find it. Great. That, that wasn't enough for me. <laughs> Not because I think I'm fantastic, but because the people who participated in my dissertation research deserve to have their voices heard. And that, oh, wow. w- that was where the podcast idea came from and, and communicating what I found and the information in the research interviews this way and creating, you know, this, this podcast and getting these ideas out wasn't because I think I'm all that, you know, yeah, this is fun. And I love talking about games. I mean, obviously, <laughs> as we've just heard me talk, you know, about my own experience, I really want the voices of the women who participated in my study to be heard. Um, and I want that to be taken seriously. And I what, want, what do you think they're saying? Um, I think they're saying that gaming is important and valuable and that it has a lot to offer in terms of mm, autonomy and self-identity. And I think everybody said that in a different way in the interviews. And, you know, as it stands right now, the first episode of Game On Girl was listened to by about 100 people. And even, even that is probably more than an academic book would have, you know would have garnered more people than than would have read that book or read an article that was written about it in a scholarly journal. So that makes me really happy. It's like already I have, you know, a small percentage of of the gamers that I talk to have been able to be represented that way. And that was really what sort of inspired all of this to happen. Wow. Well, I tell you what, we can't thank you enough for um, spending this podcast so that we could talk to you and, um, just get a little bit more of your background and a little more of your personality and know where you're coming from because I think that's important as far as understanding your your viewpoint and your passion about the dissertation you wrote. Yeah. So uh, we really appreciate it, Regina. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for for the interview and for for turning my own questions back on me. (laughs) Oh, I enjoyed that quite a bit. (laughs) I bet you did. And I'm sure the women who... uh, also participated in the the research study who are listening uh appreciated that as well so i wanted to thank you for your time Rhonda. so now you've heard a little bit more about me and why i'm here putting this show together i'd love to continue to get feedback from our listeners and hear from anyone who might want to be interviewed for the show catch me on twitter at doc liz or on the website gameongirl.com don't forget the dashes i've also created a facebook page for game on girl so be sure to like us there as i mentioned last time this podcast was edited with audacity and the theme song good day is performed by triple fox and used under a creative commons attribution license until next time game on